I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In each episode, we talk about our week in review, what movies or TV shows we have been watching uh, independently and together. And then we'll have a main event, which is either a main review or topic of discussion around movies. Then we finish off with film faves, our favorite movies around a particular topic, typically marching back through time. In this episode, our main event will be Life Itself, and film phase will be 1992. But before we continue on, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping and explain we were actually, the, this episode is actually playing catch up a little bit because we were going to have an episode that was going to review a simple favor. But what ended up happening was we ended up having issues with our work schedules, our movie pass schedules, trying to trying to be able to watch a simple favor. And then most importantly, my in-law Shanna's parents flew in from South Africa for a week. Wouldn't you know it, around the time that a simple favor came out and we would have recorded and uh, it just it everything just fell apart. There's just absolutely no way to be able to push out an episode in time. So we apologize for that. We hope you enjoyed our bonus episode of our Film Faves 1993 episode and our fall movie preview episodes before that. So today uh, we will have a little bit of time devoted to a simple favor. Don't worry, it will be spoiler free. But uh, we will talk a little bit about a simple favor before moving on into our main event of life itself. Now, with that all said, let's move into our week in review. Shanna, as I understand, you had no time to really watch anything on your own. Is that accurate? That is accurate. I was busy being present with my family. And uh, before your parents came into town, when you were off to work uh, out of town, I did get to squeak in a couple movies. So I'd like to try to talk a little bit about those. One was from this year. It is You Were Never Really There, or You're Never Really Here, which is a film starring Joaquin Phoenix. It is actually an F-rated film. It's by Lynn Ramsey, the director of We Need to Talk About Kevin. And it's a really lean, violent hitman film that focuses on the hitman who's not well, uh, let's say. Joaquin Phoenix is the main character in the film. But it's also one of those movies where... There isn't a whole lot of plot to it. And I was actually kind of, after a certain point, I was like, oh, this is all the movie's about. Which is, to share with you, the movie's basically about him getting a contract to um, go in and save this uh, young woman who has been kidnapped by basically sex traffickers, as I understand it, and deal with the people responsible. That's it. There's not a lot of bombast to it. It's not uh, a bloated film in any way. It's actually only, it's just under 90 minutes long. 
and I think, of course, Joaquin Phoenix, he's, he's well-established himself to be one of the best actors of our time. Uh, he's a very interesting actor. He makes very interesting choices and interesting performances. To clarify for you, Shanna, the IMDb uh, description of the film is that he, he is a traumatized veteran, unafraid of violence, and he tracks down missing girls for a living. His nightmares overtake him as a conspiracy is uncovered, leading to what may be his death trip or his awakening. He has trauma from his past, and, and, and it, that definitely comes in as flashes. And it's very interesting. You know, this, this film, I think, got uh, a lot of praise. I think it came out in one of those film festivals like Sundance last year and was released in limited release this year. And it, it, I wouldn't say it's one of the best films of the year, but it is definitely a very interesting film. If you like lean, violent thrillers... I think you might find this one worthwhile. It has a little bit of meat on the bone, too, as far as character development goes. So that is You Were Never Really Here by Lynn Ramsey, starring Joaquin Phoenix. The next film I saw was from last year. It is Stronger. It probably, I think it came out like almost exactly a year ago. It was one of those movies that um, we talked about, I think, in our fall movie preview last year. Yes, that's true. Never got around to it. Never had access to it. Just been available to rent. And I finally, I think it came on Amazon Prime. So I finally got a chance to catch up with it. Jake Gyllenhaal plays um, a man who was a survivor of the Boston Marathon uh, bombing. Tatiana Maslany plays his ex-girlfriend slash girlfriend slash eventual caretaker. And she's actually really good. You know, a lot of people would know her from Orphan Black. Love her. Yeah, and of course she's proven herself to be a, a very fine actress from that series. But I'd like to see her in more roles on the big on the big screen. She gives a fine supporting turn in this uh, film. Jake Gyllenhaal is Jake Gyllenhaal, so you know he never falters. Uh, the film is interesting because you know the the man himself. You know he's praised as a hero. The term Boston Strong came about. Uh, in part because of his survival. He represented this term, Boston Strong. And he didn't understand like why he was a hero. All he did was get his legs blown off. And, you know, he's, he's struggling to, to live and have normal days, you know, that are pain-free. And learning how to walk again, you know, with, what do you call? Prosthetics. Prosthetics, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that's really kind of interesting that the movie looks at it that way, you know, you, because it, you, you have to um, come to terms with the fact that sometimes your, your story and who you are or whatever you're doing can have an effect on other people. It doesn't matter if you are doing something for a great cause or if you're simply just trying to learn how to live again after some sort of an event in your life but what you do does is witnessed by others and can have an effect on others and i thought that was a really interesting message that the film conveys and i think that was at, at one point I, I i was quite genuinely moved it's not too much of a lifetime 
schmaltzy movie of the week kind of thing as many of these things can be but at one point like i don't know to the last 20 minutes i was actually genuinely moved and i think it had a lot to do with how all these people were were testifying to the character how much he's meant to them in some way just by surviving and trying to move on with his life and I guess that's a really good point. I mean, we never know how we're going to touch other people's lives. And mm-hmm. sometimes the people that we touch are complete and utter strangers. Mm-hmm. We have no idea who they are. Absolutely. Or that they even exist. And I guess that that's just a really huge concept. And did it was it like feel good? That part of it? Was that feel good? Or was it, was it very like sob driven? I don't think it was either of those. I think it was very much somewhere in the middle. It wasn't overplayed, you know, where it's trying to make you feel inspired. You know, it's not trying really hard to make you feel really inspired. It's not trying really hard to make you cry. It's just, it's told very plainly. By the way, this is by David Gordon Green, who has the film Halloween coming out uh, this fall. He's done several other films in the past, like Pineapple Express. He's got a very eclectic directorial career. Yeah, he he also did Joe with Nicolas Cage we saw a few uh, years back. That was very good. So he's got an eclectic career, and this this wasn't bad. Um, I think Joe was better. I think he's done a couple other films that are better, but Stronger wasn't, wasn't too bad. So that's worth a look. That's Stronger on Amazon Prime. All right, Shanna. Well, you and I have seen a couple things over the past few weeks together. Let's start way back when we watched Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Shanna, you're familiar with the original Gremlins film? Yes. My familiarity with (laughs) the Gremlins film is I got to watch it for the first time with you. Mm. Those awesome boys that I look after occasionally... You know, we always have a DVD going in the minivan. Mm -hmm. And that particular, I think it was like an eight-day period with them. Yeah. And it was just Gremlins playing. Oh, wow. So that tune is like stuck in my head every time I think of them. So I'm quite fond of Gremlins. Yeah. Okay. And I grew up with, actually, I think Gremlins 2 was the first one I saw. Wow, that's the first time that's happened to you that yeah. you told me. <laughs> I usually yeah. see the sequel first. Right, <laughs> yes, because um, I think I saw it with the family. And then I uh, Gremlins w- was on cable constantly, TBS, TNT, whatever. So I think I saw that with commercial breaks and stuff on cable later and then eventually the real deal mm-hmm. i always loved gremlins too i'll talk more about my feelings about the movie but uh what you think about it having uh recently seen or discovered the original film guys i can't take that they're beating up on gizmo <laughs> like, i really can't do it <laughs> like it's so painful for me. It's like I'm watching someone hurt my dog. Oh, yeah. You know? Not, you not that bad, but, like, very close. Yeah. You know? Like... Joe Dante was not a fan of Gizmo or what he became after the release of the original Gremlins film. Well, then, Joe, you should have taken more control of the wheel the first time around and not taken it out on Gizmo the second movie. Okay? That's what I have to say to you, Joe, <laughs> sir, with all due respect. 
like that was very difficult for me and I, I felt like I couldn't move past it mm. because I so love him, you know? <laughs> because He's lovable. It's good. Guys, we need more love and cutesy in the world, okay? We don't <laughs> need how to bully one oh one. You uh, know? It's uh. just I did not like that. So what Shannon's referring to is in the movie, Gizmo is subjected to a lot of torture and, and, and things through the gremlins, or at the hands of the gremlins themselves. Oh my god, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, he and, should have been dead at least three times. <laughs> and Joe Dante also didn't even like the idea of there being a Gremlin sequel, but the studio really wanted one. So he kind of made an anti-sequel, a kind of meta-sequel, uh, that re- re- at one point even references the original film as a film in itself. Mm. So I guess it was cute that it was <clears throat> like, you know, like you said, it was meta. Yeah. Um, that's always interesting. I guess there were just very interesting moments. There mm-hmm. would be like a moment where... I guess the neighbors came over to Yeah, to yeah. Stay. Yeah, the Futtermans. Yeah, they came to stay over and it just wasn't going to work out and was going to work out. Yeah. Oh, they so they, they came were going to, around New York and Yeah, they, looking for a place to stay. Yeah, yeah and mm-hmm. he came he overcame his fear. The uh Mr. Futterman. Yeah. Who and, was actually attacked by with a snowplow by the gremlins in the first movie. Yeah. And presumed dead actually because you didn't see him after that in the film. Mm. So, I mean, that was like a little interesting moment. And, and there's a couple other things, but I don't want to like spoil it, yeah. even though it's like old, considered old. If it's more Yeah, than it's a 27 decade. years old now. Guys, if it's more than five years, honestly, I'm, I'm going to spoil it. I'll try not to. But <laughs> so I, I have a love hate relationship with it. I'm okay if we don't. The best way I can put this is I'm okay if we don't buy the DVD. Mm. I'm okay. If we rent it again for uh-huh. Logan to see, yeah. I'm okay. Did you like it as much yeah. as the first one? Absolutely not. No, okay. No. The first one I could watch on repeat. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I adore Gremlins to the new batch, oh and I actually like it. I find it more fun than the original film. I think because of the anarchy that Joe Dante is injecting in the film and the concept of a sequel. He he just goes absolutely bananas with this movie. I love the ideas. I've always been struck by the ideas of the different types of gremlins because there's a lab in this corporate building. And Which makes the, no sense, guys. <laughs> I mean, the insurance like, rate alone would be... They're like, doing animal testing and, and all these different potions and the gremlins get a hold of all these different potions and it transforms them into different different versions one of them becomes and he's on the poster and he's in the trailer he becomes hyper intelligent and i absolutely love he's known as the brain and i love the brain he's hilarious of the way his manner of speaking and and you know he, he balances this hyper intelligence but also the anarchy of a gremlin it's just hilarious you know there's a lot of like looney tunes action going on mm. in this movie and I don't know, like, the, even the human characters are a little more fun, too, than in the original film for me. You know, the original film, like, the focus was on Billy and, uh, I can't remember his girlfriend, played by Phoebe Cates. Uh, but those two, you know, and, you know, kind of humdrum, you know, really. Uh, and here you have a wild cast of characters that includes John Glover and um, 
uh, what's his name? Picardo. Gosh, um, Richard Picardo? I'm forgetting his first name, but you you know who I'm talking about if you're if you follow character actors, and you have a, a bunch of other people in there that are just like, you know, freaking Christopher Lee is in this movie. You know, I mean, it's just really bonkers, zany. You have a female gremlin. It's just absolutely nuts, and I find oh it... god, that was painful for me. That was so. <laughs> it's oh just hilarious god. fun, and and it's very clever. <laughs> So I always thought it expanded and opened my mind and creativity of what could happen with the Gremlins. And I thought it was a blast. So okay, it was so, nice to look back on. So you watched the second one first, and then yeah. how long did it take you to watch the first one after you saw the second one? Honestly, I couldn't tell you accurately. Is when I mean you're talking was it like years? Was it days? No, I don't think so because you'd see Gremlins on TBS and TNT all the time, especially I think especially during the holiday season, the fall and winter season. So you know, I I must have inevitably caught it at some point on there. I asked because I want to know: Was watching the second one and then going to the first one? Did the first one seem really boring to you? I think it definitely affected my expectations and my perspective of the first one the first one's definitely darker it's definitely not as bonkers and zany and and whatnot as the second one is Mm -hmm. um it's a little bit a little bit more of a straightforward monster movie Mm -hmm. and so i think like that probably did have a negative effect on my original enjoyment and love of the first one i think my appreciation of the first one has developed over time Gotcha. I I am really such a fan of the first one because I feel like yeah you're right it's it's fairly dark yeah but I feel like it's the good kind of dark to introduce like a ten year old to yeah 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 because yeah. there's still all this charm involved and this you know they win it's so. it's a to- it's a great way to introduce somebody into horror uh, a child into horror just like the old Universal monster movies is a great safe way to introduce a child into horror films but we got to move on we have a couple other movies to talk about that we saw the next one was i can't believe this <laughs> finally got to got shanna to see 1976's rocky starring sylvester stallone and written by still sylvester stallone jeff shanna. just put his fists up like rocky does when he gets to the top <laughs> of the stairs it's very exciting folks this uh this is a movie that for whatever reason she had great resistance i think we've even talked about this in past episodes great resistance to scene shanna i'm gonna let you talk for a minute okay. or two what do you think of rocky well I need a shout out. You need a shout out. You need to show appreciation to this wonderful couple I photographed. Mm-hmm. For the, I photographed their wedding, and it's Jason and Amanda. And they spoke about how significant Rocky is to their relationship. She even had an instrumental version of the know, love theme. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the love theme play when she came down the aisle. Mm-hmm. And I said, but why Rocky? And so she had, you know, really broken it down for me and she said because everybody thinks that he's stupid and everybody thinks that she is like ugly oh she's ugly but they see each other Mm -hmm. and they take care of each other yeah and i was like oh well if jeff had explained it to me like that in the first place (laughs) i would have watched it and so you know i think we actually watched it as soon as we got home from the wedding didn't we a very short time but what did you think of the film it wasn't bad 
uh-huh. it wasn't at all what I was expecting. Okay. Is it better than you expected? Not quite. Okay. Not quite. So it all it was pretty much what you're expecting. No, I think I was expecting something a little different. Mm-hmm. And you know what I got was a little different. I don't really know how to What'd you like about it? I guess I like the end. <laughs> because yeah. it ended or what? No. <laughs> no. No, I I like that, you know, all that matters is each other. Mhm. It's such a build up to this event. Yep. And I think it's funny you had said, well, he's fighting for real and the other guy was like, I just want to play. Talking you know? about Apollo versus Apollo Creed versus Rocky Balboa, how they both approached the fight in the first in the beginning, yeah. Yeah, and I thought that that was interesting. I mean, that's Rocky in his element. That's where his smarts are, mm-hmm. you know? That's yep. what he lives and breathes. Uh-huh. And he gets to do it. So it's kind of a fun uh, achieving your passion. Uh I guess okay but then still staying grounded in that well she helped me get to this point she's the one that believed in me from the get-go yeah and they didn't make it too sappy okay you know so I guess that's really cool yeah and fairly unique yeah because I yeah usually you get like usually a soap drama a Uh soap opera yeah and it was nice that it was kind of just straightforward like this is the person that matters to me What, what didn't you like about the movie there were just a couple moments of uncomfortability for me, a couple scenes. It's not bad. It's okay. it's not traumatizing, but it was just like, ugh. It's just for me personally. Like, for example? Well, just really bizarre moments. I mean, Rocky's trying to help that one girl. and he, The teenager you're the talking teenager, about. The yeah. teenager, and... He's giving her some advice, and it's it's fairly sound advice. Yeah. And it's being mm-hmm. given in a... You know, I want to talk to you, you know, just as a friend. Yeah, a very good, very good way, yeah. She essentially tells him to fuck right off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's painful for me to see. Because <laughs> like, yeah. if someone had, if I had done something and someone like that had, you know, given advice like that to me in that manner, I, yeah. I would have listened, you mm-hmm. know, or I would have at least considered it. Yeah. So, you know, that was just uncomfortable for me. And then just lighting, just a bit of cinematography issues Mm, for me. You know, I guess they're trying to show the darkness of winter because that's kind of the majority of when it's happening. In Philadelphia. Yeah, and, you know, I know what it's like in winter in Washington. And it's not fun at all. Yeah. Any stretch of the imagination. And (laughs) I don't want to see the darkness. (laughs) So it's just so, a personal preference. So you had issues mostly with the lighting of the movie, but overall yeah. you enjoyed enjoyed the film. Yes. You know, lighting-wise, I really would have liked it if, you know, at the end of his training when he's victoriously uh-huh. sh- putting his fists up in the air, I would have liked it if the sun came on his face, and I just would have liked a little extra, you know, rim lighting or something like that. I know it's really specific, okay. but just to enhance the mood. Because Very I could also tell that the scene where he's not fit and the scene where he does become fit, you can tell it's shot on the same day because the clouds are precisely the same. Mm. So I needed something. I'm I'm okay with that. Like I get it, you got a budget, you gotta do what you gotta do. There's there's pinky clouds in wintertime or whenever it was shot. Gotta take advantage of it, but I need some sunlight. Okay. So really quickly, because we gotta move on, I just 
so Rocky is the best of the series. It's the best film. I don't know if it necessarily deserved Best Picture of its year. I think it may or may not have gone up against All the President's Men. I could be wrong about that. But the following sequels followed immediately after the other. And ultimately, they be, they got worse and worse and worse as you went along. You know, Rocky II is good, but it's, it's not as great as the original Rocky. But what I'd like to do is show you Rocky II... And then jump to Creed because Rocky and Rocky Two are really important to understanding Creed. You know, so uh, would you be up for that? Oh yeah, totally. Because our new friends Jason and Amanda said that the second one is their favorite. I think. Well, it's the mo- they, 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 they said it was more romantic or oh, okay. whatever. Uh, and I think Creed is like the only other movie of the entire series that's even close to being as good as the first Rocky film. And I think you might enjoy the pacing a little bit more too, because I think you thought the, first, the original Rocky was a little slow. Um, it does take mm-hmm. its time developing the Rocky character for about a half an hour, mm-hmm. you know, with those scenes like the teenager and such like that. And I'm okay if stuff's happening. I can't take too much silence, and I feel like there was a lot of that. Hmm. All right, so that's Rocky. Shanna finally got exposed to that. And then, before we get to our review of A Simple Favor, let's spend just a couple minutes on Blue Velvet by oh, David yes. Lynch from yeah. 1986. Just a minute or two. <laughs> starring Kyle MacLachlan and Dennis Hopper, known for helping reignite Dennis Hopper's career as he plays the villainous Frank Booth in this neo-noir mystery. That's very odd by David Lynch. Also starring Isabella Rossellini, Ingrid Bergman's daughter. What did you think of Blue Velvet? I should say, first of all, Shanna, explain whether or not you're a fan of David Lynch in general, and then talk about your thoughts on Blue Velvet. Okay. I am a David Lynch fan. I have only seen three of his films now, and I've watched you know, his TV show, Twin Peaks. I believe I did complete that, I, even okay. though other people t- I think other people took over uh, in the second season. Okay. I think that might be accurate. <laughs> I left it at a certain point. I think it's important for me to mention that. And my favorite is Mulholland Drive. And we have spoken about that in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. So, Blue, I am a fan of the way he messes with your mind. Okay. And someone who has a image background, a study in imagery is going to be paying, he keeps those people on their toes. So I'm constantly keep paying attention, making you know note of how he frames things, how he's lighting things, his color choices, his gels, his, it's like watching a master, you know? I, I know that that's high praise, but it's, you don't get to see a lot of that. And he does it consistently through all the frames in his film. Some people will play with one or two frames and get creative, but I like him for that. That being said, I know that he's gonna mess with your mind, you know? And this one really did mess with my mind. I think I was, you know, having a nightmare or two or at least trippy dream or two afterwards. Oh, really? Yeah, well, you know, if you're gonna play like that, that's what's gonna happen. I thought it was a good film. I thought, that Shanna's poll quote of what is considered one of the best 80s uh, film of the 80s. I thought it was a good film. 
Well, I went a little slower than that. <laughs> like, really trying to watch my words. I thought it was a good film. I thought it was a difficult film to get through, though. Okay. Because there is a rape scene. It's like in the first half hour, if I remember correctly. And there's... Not only is it a rape scene, you know, someone... A woman being raped by a man. I mean, the man is drugged up mm-hmm. on... Oh, it's a very disturbing rape scene that, like, I don't even know if... It, you just have to, like, witness it. I don't even know if it's a good idea to try describing it. Very okay. bizarre. The other thing is someone is watching it happen. Right. And, you know, that can really mess with your mind if you've you've had a trauma before. So mm. if you've had a trauma, I don't recommend David Lynch anything for you. Oh, really? I really don't. I think it could trigger things. But that being said, I thought that all the performances were really just outstanding. I really loved everyone in the film, like what they were doing. I could tell that they were achieving David Lynch's vision. Mm. And I can always tell that with his films. I can't always tell that with other films. You know, when I'm watching something else, it'll be like, oh, yeah, that was a good performance. But I never make the association of that's a really good performance honoring so-and-so director's vision. I always feel that way, though, when I watch David Lynch's stuff. Does that make sense? Kind of. I think what you're trying to say is uh, with some directors, you can you can see their imprint on the performances. Mm-hmm. They are directing the performances more than others. Mm-hmm. And I think you're trying to say that that is really the case here. Well, I feel that way about most of his stuff. Uh-huh. I mean, I know I've only seen like four things, but... I what are the like movies that you've seen of his again? It's Mulholland Drive, now it's Blue Velvet, oh, and what is the other one? You saw Twin Peaks the series. And Twin Peaks. Not the movie. No, not the movie. And I cannot recall the other one right now. So, I recommend it, but I recommend it with... I highly recommend it with caution. Is it one of your favorites, or are you given? Are you you're not a big fan of it? I think it's at the bottom of the list, and not because I hate it. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. But I think Mulholland Drive really is my favorite because mm. I guess I feel like there's nothing too traumatizing for me when I watch it, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Yeah. And. But the thing is, anything that David Lynch makes, I'll watch it, and then I have to wait like three years till I watch it again. Because it's just such an intense experience. Mm. So The f- music as well. His music choices are always so haunting. Mm. Yeah. I, I think you're a bigger David Lynch fan than I. I was t- t- talking about how, really briefly, I've seen all but like three of his films. I haven't seen Eraserhead, Freeway, or Inland Empire, but I think I've seen all the other ones. And I find myself more of a fan. There's those conventional David Lynch, and then there's like what people think of as David Lynch, which is the weird, trippy, funhouse mirror version of reality David Lynch. Mm. Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive being very prime examples of that. I appreciate that work, but I don't end up loving that work. I appreciate, like, Blue Velvet marks everything that he ends up being known for mm-hmm. really in terms of what he does with um certain motifs and, and and styles and everything 
But myself, I'm a bigger fan of the straight story or the elephant man, you know, his more conventional quote unquote films than his the films that he's actually known for. So I'm really glad. I had a feeling you would like and appreciate Blue Velvet. Um, it sounds like you might like it a little bit more than me, whereas I'm more of a I appreciate it for what it is as, um, you know, film study kind of perspective. So that was Blue Velvet, which I think is available on Prime. I think it was on Prime. That's how we watched it on Amazon. That's correct. It's Yeah, it's available to see over there. That's why, you know, you were showing me options and you said David Lynch's and I was like, and we're doing that because yeah. I'm in the mood for David Lynch. All right, so we're a few minutes behind. Let's get to our discussion, a brief discussion about A Simple Favor, which is Paul Feig's latest film. This stars Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. It is an adaptation of a book. IMDb describes it as a woman seeks to uncover the truth behind the disappearance of her best friend. That doesn't get any more simple than that. That is essentially what it is, but it is a lot twistier than that. This is actually written by Jessica Scharzer based on the book by Darcy Bell. Paul Feig we have been following he is the director of such films as bridesmaids the ghostbusters ghostbusters and that film with sandra bullock and melissa mccarthy uh i'm thinking of the heat shanna what did you think of uh non-spoilery what did you think of a simple favor oh my god this was such a fun film the banter you know these two women become friends and one is really like sweet and Pinterest, like Pinterest on crack. And the other one is high powered. She's definitely a woman. Yeah, career woman. Yeah. At, you know, in the corporate uh, end of, you know, as far as careers go. Uh-huh. And the banter that they do about mom differences and, the, you know, there's little character quirks of each mom figure that, you know, volunteers at the school. There's about four or five of them is really fun and uh, they kind of put a dark spin on everything Mm -hmm. dark comedic spin that is Uh, there's fun twists and turns in this film it was hard for me to try to keep up with what was going to happen next Mm -hmm. I would think that I know what was going to happen next but I was wrong (laughs) (laughs) which is always fun for me and Anna Kendrick was great Blake Lively was awesome I everybody in this film has some sort of darkness revealed about them (laughs) sometimes it's you know something really small and sometimes it's really like seedy yeah here's what i had a problem with i did not believe the chemistry between blake lively and the husband figure who is that um that's a good question let me see and that's an interesting issue that you have Uh, i think it's henry golding if i'm not from if i'm not mistaken that was cast incorrectly that was miscast, I mean, huh? It was very far from what could have yeah, been. Yeah, Sean Townsend. I feel like her relationship with her husband, that character, it's supposed to be smoldering. And they might look good together. You're talking like about how, Emily and her husband, Sean. Yeah. yeah. And they might look good together, but they do not act good together. I mean, That's she's doing awesome. Yeah. So I forgot that Paul Feig also did Spy. By I the fucking way. love that fucking film. Brilliant film. I think Paul Feig is starting to develop a, a pattern here where none of his movies are terrible, but every other movie is okay. 
I think Ghostbusters and The Heat were okay movies. You know, they they weren't great. They weren't among his best. But Bridesmaids in 2011, Spy in 2015, and now A Simple Favor in 2018, I think are his best films. Simple Favor is, to me, Gone Girl Light, in that it has some of the, the twists and the mystery that Gone Girl has and the feminism that Gone Girl has, but it's also like fizzy and fun and it has humor, uh, a lot of humor in it, actually. I think, um, you know, kind of peppered throughout, there's some surprisingly hilarious moments in the movie. It's almost jarring how quickly it jumps from one to the other. Yeah, I mean, not for the most part, not in a way that bothered me. There's, um, oh, no. there's a moment at yeah. the very end that I won't get into where it does turn a little bit Looney Tunes, just, just for a moment compared to the rest of the film. First of all, I'll say I really appreciated Blake Lively. I think she's underrated as in general as an actress. I've seen her in The Shallows and a couple other films. And I think she doesn't get enough credit, enough opportunity. Here, she's definitely leaning into her uh, what her looks would suggest to somebody. You know, she's absolutely stunning and hot as hell, blonde woman, very wealthy, uh, or at least seemingly very wealthy. You know, high powered, very you know career minded, and with a with a very high sex drive right mm-hmm. she's the cool girl you know and I, th- I think she leans into that to great success i think she's really great in this movie anna kendrick also leans into what some of what she's known for doing which is very you know prissy uptight buttoned up you know very reserved personalities you know dating back as far back as up in the air where she really first exploded you know you know this woman who's like attacking her keyboard you know and and, and with very, perfect posture right exactly you know she, that's there's shades of that she's she's not too dissimilar in this movie you know uh, she's very conservative there's suggestions that she has she's very christian and she and ends up in a friendship that kind of opens her up a little bit and she has a great character arc from who we who she is when we first meet her to who she is when we leave her at the end of the movie um so i think that that's very well written i think for the most part there's enough twists to keep you guessing i was afraid at one point that this movie was to an extent about gaslighting and commenting on gaslighting because at one point, one character gaslights one of the female characters, saying, "Oh, you're crazy. You know, just take some pills. You'll be all right." Um, when she, you know, as a viewer, she's not crazy. And then, I don't know, 15 minutes later or so, the reverse is happening, where the guy is being gaslit, and I'm like, "Is this like going to be? Is this what the movie's going to be about?" And I really got worried. Thankfully, there's more twists to come that I feel are even more satisfying, and I end up being very satisfied overall by this film. I'm not sure if it'll crack into my top 10 of the year, but it is definitely an honorable mention and a really, really good and fun film. Uh, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about it, actually. Yeah, this is definitely one of those films that I'm going to buy. Oh? Like, when it comes to Black Friday specials, that's when I usually 
get a bunch of fun films. Yeah. Films that I would like to own, but want to wait till there's a good deal. Sure, sure. Yeah, but you definitely love the film then. If you want, um, would go out and buy it. Yeah, it made me really happy. Uh, was there anything, broadly speaking, that you didn't like about the movie? Aside from the, the chemistry between, between two of the characters? Speaking to your gaslighting mm-hmm. and the steps that have to be taken to make the gaslighting effective to a broader audience, uh, to a you know, broader set of characters in the film. I didn't like the steps that were being taken because it makes me worry on a societal level. But otherwise, film-wise, mm-hmm. I'm good. Yeah, you're... Oh, there was, a, there was a, a sex scene that was just really awkward for me, and it's not the one that you think would be awkward for me. <laughs> right. Like, the awkward one was more satisfying to me than the... Right, and that had more to one. do with the chemistry between the two characters. I just than I, I, think, I feel yeah. like that person was miscast so deeply. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So what did you think about A Simple Favor? Have you seen it? Have you been talking about it? I'm surprised podcasts I listen to haven't been talking about this movie. I think it's definitely one of those movies that's going under the radar. And you should definitely check it out. Probably a 8 or a 7 out of 10 for me. So let's get to our main event, though. That is our review of Dan Fogelberg's Life itself aka Brenna Hall tissue box you ever gonna ask me out well just waiting for the right moment i'll see you around abby i'm waiting for the right moment because when i ask you out there's not going to be any turning back for me i'm not going to date anybody else for the rest of my life i'm not going to love anybody else for the rest of my life i'm waiting for the right moment because when i ask you out it's going to be the most important moment of my life and I just want to make sure that I get it right. <sighs> Life itself tricks us. It misleads us. It paints one man a hero when he may well be a villain. Hero or villain? Hola. What? Villain or hero? Thought that I was in my Maybe the heroes and villains of our stories are actually just day players in a much bigger movie. But I was naked dressed in my I want to live a big, great, fantastical life. Let's get married. We've been dating less than a year. I know. I feel like I've shown incredible restraint waiting this long. You made me run. I love you, but I may not be equipped to be loved this much. Don't take this the wrong way. All I ever wanted was for Will to marry a woman with dead parents so we have to share the grandchildren. It's okay. She knows what I'm a completely random moment that happened way before I was born which shaped my entire life are you glad it happened hey 
Are you pregnant? <gasps> Surprise! Star small, grow tall. So that's from the trailer to Life Itself from the creator of the hit NBC TV series This Is Us, which I am a big fan of, full disclosure. Shannon's not that terribly familiar with. Oh, I know what that man's up to. You know what that man's up to. I know what to. he's up to. Yeah. <laughs> I can see what's going on there. <laughs> can you? Now, this is not to be confused with the documentary about Roger Ebert. Uh, life itself that came out a few years back no Loved it. Lo- oh man yes I, that deserves a rewatch soon but no this is a film that stars oscar isaac olivia wilde annette benning antonio banderas mandy patinkin gene smart who i think also made an appearance in a simple favor that was interesting gene smart double feature olivia cook and a surprise cameo by Samuel L. Jackson. IMDb describes this as a young New York couple going from college romance to marriage and the birth of their first child. The unexpected twists of their journey create reverberations that echo over continents and through lifetimes. Now, that description and that trailer that you just heard... That's nothing fucking alike. No, they're alike. But they're not the movie we saw. No, that's true. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah. And we'll get into that in spoilers. But first, when we talk about a movie, we like to first, first focus on what we liked about a movie. Do we? Oh, yes. You ask this every time. You forget every time. Uh, we like to talk about what we liked about a movie first because that can actually be more challenging. It can be easier to, to tear a movie apart or talk about what we don't like about a movie first. Must be a sign of how I feel about this movie Oh man, uh, so we'll we'll talk about that. Then we'll move into what we didn't like, and then we'll have a spoiler warning, which will lead to our final thoughts. So Shanna, you're not familiar with This Is Us too much, uh, not like I have. I've watched two seasons of it. You did see the trailer. We talked about this movie in our last episode as one of our most anticipated films of the fall movie season. What did you like about life itself? Oh, for heaven's sakes, Jeff, I was going to tell you what I didn't like. Ugh. Okay. Uh, you guys know I'm a fan of time. Time travel, time expanding, contracting in films. So the one thing that I did like is the format. The storytelling of different generations is quite spectacular to me. Okay. That's the concept of that. This film, it's not spectacular to me, but it was quite pleasing. In, in that sense. Yeah. How it tells the chronology of its... Yes. Yeah, okay. What they're doing. Okay. There was an effect that I liked in this film that was done really seamlessly. They show the child growing up. But There's all they do for it is they have her face, and oh. her face slowly changes. Yes, that was very cool. And I really enjoyed that. That's definitely it. You would not have been able to do that five years ago. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. I thought all the performances were quite beautiful. I love the messages that each character was carrying. It can be significant to me uh, at this stage of my life. I feel like... I feel like you have to go through a few things in life to be able to appreciate this movie 
in some way. Mm. You're not going to appreciate the entire movie. You're going to appreciate something about it. Okay. I feel like if you're, you know, the person that's been sheltered their whole life, that hasn't really gone out and lived or gotten some life experiences, I don't feel like this film is going to hit you in any way. Okay. Anything else that you liked about it? I don't think so. Okay, so here's what I liked about this film. The cast. I It's really hard not to like the cast. You have Oscar Isaac, who's been hitting home runs uh, lately with Ex Machina and the Star Wars films with Poe Dameron and several other movies the past five years. You have Olivia Wilde, who I always enjoy and can't get enough of. I don't think I see enough of her on screen. I enjoy her quite a bit. Mandy Patinkin is just so wonderful to see back on the screen again. I haven't seen him in years. Antonio Banderas is just so comforting for some reason as a, as a person who grew up in the 90s to see him on screen. And, you're, and I just found myself really hoping, don't be an asshole, Antonio Banderas. Please don't be an asshole. <laughs> because there's something very, like, very comforting about his presence in general, um, seeing him in a movie again. Olivia Cook is an uh, on, on the rise star, I think, is hitting... She may not be in great films this year, uh, but this is like her year in terms of really hitting home runs of getting all these high-profile films and doing pretty darn good in each one. You know her from Ready Player One, and she's been in a couple other things. So I like the cast. They're all putting in good work. Annette Benning um, is in the film for a while. I cannot speak ill of the cast at all. They're doing great. And there's even some people that I'm not familiar with that got, I got exposed to, particularly some characters that are in uh, Mexico, I believe. If I'm not mistaken, I hope. Leah Costa and Sergio Peri Manchetta. I'm not familiar with them. But they did uh, great work. And it's nice to see Jean Smart uh, once again because uh, I haven't seen her since the Designing Women days, basically. Shanna. Mm -hmm. What did All right, you not like about the so, movie Life Itself? I was not expect Like, guys, you might it might be really painful to actually listen to me talk today, but this I'm still detoxifying from this film experience. It yeah. does not help that I'm ovulating, so... Whoa, 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 okay. Well, we can swear, but we can't talk about ovulation. <laughs> Goodness, okay. woman. I'm just saying, TMI. for the women out there, you yeah. might want to consider not watching this film when you're on the, the highs and the lows of your cycle. I'm just saying. <laughs> and when your parents With leave good the country. Reason. With good you reason, know? yes. You might want to just watch it when there's nothing difficult happening in your life. All right, well, let's... watch it. So I was not expecting to... I was not expecting the emotions I felt. Yeah. I did a lot of crying in this film. Mm. It's very difficult for me to not speak about spoilers, but I'll try my best. Just skip all the details. <laughs> we'll get into them. I guess that's all I got. <laughs> is that I was not... Ex you see the trailer and you think that there's going to be a beautiful balance of highs and lows of life. 
mm. and there is no balance at all <laughs> it, the, you know and I compared it to Inside Out in Inside Out Pixar's Inside Out yeah. you have this these beautiful wisps of happiness that happen yeah. and these beautiful wisps of I'm alive this is what it's like to be human yeah. kind of experiences happening I'm specifically talking about the montage when you get to see each emotion you, yeah. you know Go watch it if you haven't watched it. Watch this. You can ovulate if you're, you know, you can ovulate and watch this. You're not going to have a problem inside out. You're going to have a problem if you watch life itself. And the you're, problem is it was too much trauma, too much drama. And at the end, they tried to save it with happiness. And it wasn't enough happiness wisps to save it for me. Well, and that's actually, let's talk about that. Because that's actually one of my biggest problems with the movie. Here's a movie. I'm going to go down the list. I'm not going to speak in specifics, but this is what the movie includes that you do not see in the trailer. This is a movie that includes suicide, sudden trauma, disease, pet death, sudden death. Am I missing anything? I don't think there's a whole lot of... There's um, a really big one you're missing, but I don't know how we would say it without spoiling it. Okay, well, remind me in spoilers then. You know, it's just this series of things, like... My jaw dropped on the floor, probably like a third, it felt like it was a third of the way in, but apparently it must have been only 45 minutes in or something like that. And there's just so much weight. It's so heavy. You know, the movie is trying, I think, to show that you life does really sometimes like bring you down to your knees it actually says those words i think actually mm -hmm. but also there's some really great beautiful aspects of life too and the movie never bounces back from the heaviness and the weight of all the crap i just described that happens but there's also like you have alcoholism also in the film you have you have uh, spouse aban spousal abandonment you know, I mean, the list is long, you man. Have, you know. The only thing that's missing is fucking AIDS and and heavy drug abuse, you know, and homelessness. You know, I mean, like, you know, this is thankfully not a kitchen sink approach, but dude, it definitely is heavy, and it doesn't. You're right. You're absolutely right. It doesn't show enough of the uplifting, beautiful moments to help balance us out in this experience, and at least get us out of it in the end of the film yeah. um it, i mean this was it took a while for us to recover watching this movie it was just like fuck i don't think i have the will to move <laughs> you know <laughs> just like uh, you know just... we were the last ones sitting in there yeah, and yeah. it took forever for us to get out of the film yeah yeah Absolutely. And then you you reminded me that's the one that's our main review, and I said I don't know how I'm gonna freaking do it because I was such a freaking basket case, and my parents left right. the previous day, and you know it got body issues, and it, yeah. it hit me so very very hard. And I know there's pain in life. I mean, yeah. we're, I'm 31, you're 38. Like we've felt loss, we've felt pet death, we've felt all pretty much. We felt about 70% of these things. Sure. And the thing is, there is beauty in between. There is happiness in between. There is love in between. Yeah. And it didn't show enough of that. Right, exactly. That's, uh, that's our problem. I think, so that's that's one major issue with the movie, right? This is a roller coaster with, uh, like, with no coasting. <laughs> no. We're just rolling, 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 rolling into the next trauma of life. Yeah. So 
The other thing that I had a problem with, and, and feel free to chime in here if you're reminded of anything else that's not too spoilery, but the film, to speak broadly, the film is grasping at ideas about life. It has, yeah. a, it has a really, some of it's really interesting, you know, mm -hmm. like there's a thesis statement that life itself is the ultimate unreliable narrator. Oh, I'm not sure. this too. Sorry. I don't re remember that. I don't remember that at all, actually. I don't see it directly. Oh, Mother Station. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> what the hell was I saying? There's this thesis statement that I'm not sure I 100% grab onto, but I find interesting, which is that life itself is the ultimate unreliable narrator, and that each person that you follow in a story is an unreliable narrator as well. There's that, but then there's also this this idea of life having its ups and downs and you gotta get up and move forward and then there's also this other idea of what you do in life or what happens in life or your life can actually have ripple effects in other people's lives that like maybe like tangentially related to an incident in your life and that can have major repercussions in their life and you know, it's very labyrinthine. It's basically showing how life can be labyrinthine. Mm, yes. You know? So it's got all these, like... Everything's connected. Big ideas? Yeah. You know? It has some good ideas. Some. But they're not... But they don't land. They're not executed right? very well. Yeah, that's, that's the other big thing is, you know, it's trying for profundity. And mm. I feel like it just is grasping air. It doesn't quite get a hold of profundity. Yes, you know? who does it well? Magnolia does it well. Okay, talk Magnolia about that. Magnolia has got all these different characters. It's it's a bit chaotic, but I think that that runs with the theme because it still stays grounded. Uh -huh. It shows ups, it shows downs. It's it's a good combo. So the format of different characters, different timelines, you know, different butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. Yep. Things that's who does it well, is Magnolia. And it has a really great 10-minute uh, opening sequence that, that encapsulates life, has a thesis in it, talks about chance, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, and all that sort of stuff. I think that's a really interesting comparison, and that, and doubly so with the Inside Out comparison. And even though Magnolia has, you know, it's got ups and downs, even though the downs are pretty awful, mm -hmm. I still want to go back and watch that film. You know? Yeah, right, right, totally. I don't um, even think of the downs nearly as much as everything else. No, because it's just so beautifully balanced uh -huh. and so wonderfully woven. This mm -hmm. is like a really good, tight, clean tapestry is Magnolia. And then you see life itself and it's just all these loose threads and it's like they're trying to braid it together. Yeah. And it's just, it's... It's coming undone here. It's it's getting worn over there. I hope that that metaphor is, is helpful. You know, that's without spoiling anything. Was there anything else you wanted to speak to about the movie before we get into spoilers? Please don't watch this while you're ovulating. It's not helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful for anyone. <laughs> Look out, guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's just move into spoilers and okay. wrap this up. So if you have if you have an idea oda of interest in seeing life itself despite by the way having some of the worst reviews of the year on rotten tomatoes i think it's like a 13 percent positive rating on rotten tomatoes 
then you want to jump ahead to film faves look for the timestamp for when film faves starts because we're getting into uh, spoilers for life itself now okay the trailer did not indicate deaths of any kind natural or unnatural right a pregnant woman dies yeah her baby survives right <laughs> do you have any freaking clue how effectively traumatizing that is for a viewer to see who wants to get pregnant and can't get pregnant right now and then they see that happen any kind of hurt happen to a pregnant woman well and that's that's clearly subjective i wouldn't yes, mark course. that against the movie but Again. it is it is it is shocking when it happens. It is. I, I cannot stand it. I feel like it is a form of fridging. I don't have a word for it. But it isn't in this case though, because it doesn't. It doesn't. It, the idea of fridging is something happens to a female character to move to motivate the male, the male character. character. Okay. And and in no way does that happen in this movie. The guy is unmotivated. I he has to say be instituted. Similar. Okay. I feel like it is, is, is like a concept that exists out there that people think is okay to do. Well, I, I just want to make sure we're very careful about throwing that phrase out there. Okay, that's fine. But I feel like there should be a term for this when mm. pregnant women are just killed. Well, it, it's a trope. Thing. It's a trope. It's, it's, a, it's a very manipulative trope that's get, that, that the idea is... It's more affecting because oh my gosh, she was three weeks away from giving birth, right? And you could you could say that's very cheap. You could say you could describe it as a very cheap trope, but that's that's basically what it is, right? Three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks to go. That pisses yeah. me off royally, hey? Right. Because I know what women are going through when they're pregnant with their bodies, and that just pisses me off. I have to take a time out now, guys, just to calm down. I'm so angry. That really, oh my God. that really is a cheap shot. I guess I just didn't remember that part because right. I was so traumatized by the woman fucking dying. Yeah. Now, I will say the one interesting, clever thing that was done was we see this script being played out. And mm. you see Annette Benning getting hit by a bus. Yeah. And, and then you realize later shortly as it's about to happen that the 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 script was actually him adapting and playing out real events mm -hmm. I, I don't know if i could honestly say he was working through it because he clearly wasn't working through it he was I trying to avoid trying. it i think he was trying mm. the fact that he took this he took his life event and was trying to script it differently trying to change it yeah is him trying okay okay it just he couldn't he couldn't get past it and yeah. I don't blame the man. Right. Yeah. You know? Especially since he's already been illustrated to be a guy who in, who feels intensely. And he loves her intensely. Yes. So it makes it makes sense. Yeah. And you know what, Samuel Jackson, he actually warns us. <laughs> he's narrating the part with Annette Benning. Yeah. And he sees the Yes. He sees how terrible it is, and he's yeah. like, it's "Oh like, no, fuck this, I'm out." Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's what we should have been doing. <laughs> it was a warning. Yeah. Samuel Jackson was trying to take care of us. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, that makes me happy. Okay. <laughs> oh my god, he was trying to warn us. Was there anything else um, spoilery that you needed to discuss? 
I, I didn't like, I guess I could have said this earlier, but I didn't realize it. My notes are kind of mixed up. The, the makeup on characters for their aging was non-existent. That they really could have just added a little bit more there. It's Instead, like rain it like, of hairs and things. Okay, no, skin does not look like that. If you live in fucking Mexico your whole life, it does not stay smooth <laughs> into your sixties. Okay? okay. Okay. I have a good point. Okay. Here. Okay. All right. So I was not into that. That that upset me a little bit. There is an interesting play of trauma. That's you know has an interesting contrast or similarities between Rodriguez's family and then Dylan's family. Dylan's family did not deal with trauma very well. Dylan, by the way, is played by Olivia Cook. Dylan is the baby who survived Olivia Wilde's character's death, Abby, Abby's death. And then Rodriguez, you know, he is a, his family is a good example of, well, they, they did what they could they went through the steps that they had to to try and make Rodriguez okay. Rodrigo is oh, a sorry, boy Rodrigo. I'm who so sorry. not only witnessed the car accident, but inadvertently caused the accident and Abby's death. And he himself has PTSD from that, uh, wetting himself, having continuous nightmares, and screaming through the night. And but he gets better. And it's just an... I, th- I thought that that was interesting. Yeah. I'm not going to say that wasn't... In, was uninteresting. If there's anything else I really have to add, I... We haven't even really talked too much about the Rodriguez family. But I'm not really sure. Rodrigo is the son. Okay. Rodriguez is the last name. Uh, got um, it. I'm not sure really what I could add about that whole two chapters i just i think the the film like ultimately it, its issues is with its, its ideas and how much it dwells in the the miserable aspects of life and as a storyteller it, there's no balance to the storytelling um yeah. and it's We're all expected to be okay after hearing rodrigo's mom talk about how you know life will bring to you bring you to your knees but if you get up and go a little further there'll be love there'll be you know awesomeness and the thing is had those little wisps of happiness and joy been sprinkled a little more consistently throughout the film yeah i would have believed her more right but her (laughs) and and maybe you know aging makeup the addition of aging makeup would have been helpful your eyebrows do not look like that when you have cancer at any rate maybe i would have believed the movie but i i don't believe so, in the movie okay so it sounds like neither of us feel the good outweighed the bad this in is this correct. case i would score this film possibly a three out of ten. Oh, i was gonna say two a two out of ten okay so we're not too far off here and the um, dog dies pet death what yes the fuck? hey but that's natural part of life it wasn't that a, one was natural. It wasn't, Timing yeah. was off, but natural. <laughs> right. So we do not recommend life itself. We do not recommend it here or there, Samurai. Not at theater, not at um, streaming. It is just a big whiff by Dan Vogelberg, unfortunately. Uh, Fogelman. So uh, that's life itself. And now it's time to move on into our last segment, Film Faves. 
1992. Film Faves is a segment that is inspired by a regular feature of the Gibson Review blog, wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, respectively. 12 because we don't have any honorable mentions, so we're not doing 5 in honorable mentions or 10 in honorable mentions. No, 12. All honorable mentions are included in our list. And so this gives you an opportunity to not only get a sense of our taste in movies, but also hopefully expose you to other movies you have yet to see. To that end, we try to point out where these things can be available to stream, uh, particularly on Amazon Prime, Netflix, HBO, and Hulu. Sometimes it's not always the case that there, that movies are available to stream, unfortunately, as this is the nature of streaming, but we do what we can. Okay, so 1992, here's some highlights and tidbits. The highest grossing movies of that year were Aladdin and The Bodyguard, which both made well over $400 million each. The uh, Unforgiven and Malcolm X were the films to beat during awards season. Scent of a Woman beat both with Al Pacino's win for Best Actor. There are a lot of bad comedies, interestingly enough, that came out in 1992. Stop or My Mom Will Shoot with Sylvester Stallone and Estelle Getty. Eugene Levy's star-studded Once Upon a Crime. Rodney Dangerfield's cross-dressing soccer comedy Ladybugs. Man Trouble with Jack Nicholson. House Sitter with Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn, Straight Talk with Dolly Parton, Mom and Dad Save the World with Terry Garr, The Gun in Betty Lou's Handbag with Penelope Ann Miller, Captain Ron with Kurt Russell and Martin Short, and even Love Potion Number no. 9 with the then-unknown Sandra Bullock. That's a lot of shit. That's just comedies. <laughs> There was also a lot of family movies, I noticed, that came out in 1992. Muppet Christmas Carol, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, The Mighty Ducks, Three Ninjas, Honey, I Blew Up the oh, Kid. Three Ninjas. Oh, were you? Are you nostalgic for Three when Ninjas? When I was a kid, I used to watch that a lot. That is the corniest shit I've it's ever so seen. Bad. It is really bad. <laughs> Uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid and Beethoven all came out in 1992 as well. So, Shanna, let me ask you this. What do Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Boz Lerman, and M. Night Shyamalan all have in common? Nothing from that year. No, something from that year. <laughs> they all made their directorial debuts that year. Mm. Tarantino with Reservoir Dogs, Rodriguez with El Mariachi, Lerman with Strictly Ballroom, and I didn't know this, M. Night Shyamalan made his directorial debut with a film called Praying with Anger that he wrote and starred in. Wow. Yeah, I, I thought his first movie was that one with Rosie O'Donnell before The Sixth Sense, but apparently not. Uh, it did not do very well. Let me ask you this. Oh, oh, also, other people that made debuts, by the way, that year. Jack Black in the film Bob Roberts. Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the film Beethoven. Maggie Gyllenhaal in a film called Waterland. And Lauren, Laura Linney made her debut in the film Lorenzo's Oil with Nick Nolte and Susan Sarandon. In Beethoven, huh? The one about the dog? Yeah. 
Yeah. I watch that again. Uh, you really don't. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. What do John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, Selena Gomez, and Miley Cyrus all have in common? Oh. Were they in one film? Because that would have been pretty cool if mm. they were all in one film. No. That would be interesting. What they, they were all born in 1992. Oh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Isn't Joseph that Gordon interesting? No, no, no. John Boyoga. No, what I'm saying is Joseph Gordon never <clears throat> was in a film and yeah. everybody else was born. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that's a great little intro we have for 1992. Shanna, why don't you kick us off with your number 12 favorite film from 1992? Sure. My number 12 is Sneakers, and you introduced that to me. It's available on Prime. Very exciting. This has Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier, David... Strathairn. Yeah, David Strathairn, and Dan Aykroyd, as well as River Phoenix. Yep, and Mary McDonald. And Mary McDonald. And, and Stephen Tobolowsky. That's right. And so it's very exciting. There's probably a couple other names in there too. Um, it's very exciting to see all those talents. I think that's why I liked it so much is they're all just, uh, you know, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of a comedy, kind of a little bit of a thriller. They're, they all seem to be having a really good time. And it, I feel like it would have been fun to have been on that set. You mm -hmm. know how sometimes there's movies like that that you think would you know be good like that but anyway this is about you know robert redford's character is a he owns a security company that runs mock break-ins mm -hmm. uh, to see you know to essentially burglar proof a company such as a bank mm -hmm. and they're tasked with trying to retrieve a particular item privately that might not be exactly the best plan because his past is coming up to haunt him too. Robert Redford's Robert past. Redford's yes. past. Mm -hmm. um, yep. uh, I have to say my favorite, who I really enjoy, I enjoyed watching everyone, but I think my favorite was Sidney Poitier and then I just really thoroughly enjoyed watching River Phoenix and I guess fantasizing about what could he have done next? Yeah, know? right, right. What could he have done with the rest <laughs> of his life because he wasn't bad. He had this really beautiful you know, way about him. Very cool. My number 12 film, the film I'm going to get my list started on, uh, barely squeaks in. It is Malcolm X, starring, of course, Denzel Washington and directed by Spike Lee. This is a film that Shannon and I, you, you and I watched uh, not too long ago. Kind of an in, interesting way to introduce you to African history, African American history. For someone who's from another country. And we had spoken about watching this after watching 12 Years a Slave in cinema. Oh. And it took us like three years to get to. Damn, really? Jeez. Yeah, I think it was just the way... It was hard to get to. Yeah, so th this is a film that feels daunting. feels like it's a lot to, to, to chew on and chomp on. But it, it actually goes pretty well and... Denzel's performance is extraordinary. He's fantastic in this film. It's one of the best biopics ever made. And I felt like when taking into consideration what movies to include in, from 1992, I felt like I would be remiss if I, if I did not have this somewhere on my list, even if it's not an immediate go-to 
film for me from that year. So it fell uh, firmly on my number 12 spot, Malcolm X. Definitely a must-see. My number 11 is Chaplin, which is also available on Prime. That's my number 11 as well. Oh, perfect. Okay, well, why don't I say who's in it, you say what it's about, and I'll say my favorite part of this entire film. Okay. Does that sound good? Yeah, it's a long list of names for you to go through, though. Well, I'm not going to go through all of them. I was, oh, maybe you should just do it. Go for it, my love. You're so good at it. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, off the top of my head, this is a film that, of course, first and foremost, stars Robert Downey Jr. as Charlie Chaplin himself. Uh, you have also Anthony Hopkins as a as a fictional uh, novelist, narrator, autobiographer. You have Dan Aykroyd as Max Sennett. Kevin Klein as Douglas Fairbanks, Charlie Chaplin's good friend. You have Geraldine, Geraldine Chaplin um, herself, who is Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter, if I remember it's correctly. Not Geraldine. Geraldine, that's totally okay. probably accurate. I would believe that. Um, Mara Kelly as one of the loves, Hetty Kelly. Uh, you have Marissa Tomei, Penelope Ann Miller, Maria Patillo, Mia Jovovich, very young Mia Jovovich, playing a very young flame of Charlie Chaplin's. Uh, Kevin Dunn as J. Edgar Hoover. Oh my gosh, and Diane Lane as well as one of Charlie Chaplin's many loves. Well, so this film is, you know, about Chaplin's life. Yeah, it's actually a cradle to grave biopic of Charlie Chaplin. It's one of my favorite biopics is that what it is it's biopic. yeah it's a biopic why is it one of your favorites i like that it is you know a cradle to grave and i like that it's cradle to grave very well uh-huh. and you know this is a very interesting man and this is you know if you're a lover of movies you have to watch at least this i am i'm not a huge fan of charlie chaplin films really it's, it's just the way it is i you, i you do do like modern times quite I a bit i was gonna say to you i have favorite moments from each of those films okay. but i'm not like I must watch this again. You know, I, I can hmm. easily go onto YouTube and search the scene that I'm looking for to get my Chaplin fix. Fascinating and a bummer. <laughs> but my favoritest thing is, you know, and it also shows movie history. And from like the beginning of movie history to, to uh, you know, where they got to. And my favorite part is when he is expected to talk in the film. And he decides, essentially, fuck you. <laughs> I am going, if I'm going to talk, I'm going to do it my way. And oh, he, you're talking about the advent of talkies. Yes. yes. And so he talks in, he, he does a song. And even the lead up to the song is quite something. You know, he's got these words written on his arm and he's going to, to sing from his arm. But the words fall, you know, get, he's so sweaty and nervous, they, the words aren't readable anymore. And he just sings this string of words from different languages that, you know, and when it is the same language for a line, it's the sentence structure is bizarre. And it was just such a rejection and such a fuck you (laughs) to this, the cinema world. That's interesting tidbit. I did not remember that. I wonder if that's actually true too. So, um, yes, I feel like. Chaplin is not not only one of the better cradle grave biopics, but by the way, driven by a 
fantastic performance by Robert Downey Jr. I think highly underrated. I think one of his the best performances of his career. Now, the thing is, I think the film benefits greatly if you actually have a familiarity not only with Chaplin's films, but also of the of what Hollywood was the makeup of Hollywood at that time. Mm. Who the hell is Max Senna? Who the hell is Douglas Fairbanks? Who the hell is oh uh, uh, Lillian Gish or, or one of the girl the, the, the Douglas Fairbanks' wife who was a big star at the time? You know, mm. uh, Mary Pickford is the name I'm looking for. You know, who the hell are these people? I think you have such more a bigger appreciation of these people. In, you know, that come in and out of the film if you actually understand who they are, have seen their work, mm-hmm. or have seen the films that Chaplin cast these women in, too. You're like, oh, it's that woman from that movie, you know? I think it really benefits greatly if you come into the film with a certain knowledge and understanding of Chaplin's work or the work of the silent era, Most of, uh, in addition to that. But I've always loved this. I saw this when I was 12. It's always been a favorite oh, wow. of mine. Okay. Um, it's actually a little surprising that it's so far down my list at number 11. But I do, I do love it. I do adore it, despite its flaws. That is Chaplin, available on Prime. Oh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but Chaplin is available on Prime. So just in case we missed that. My number 10 is available on HBO. And that is Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. <laughs> oh, okay. Talk, talk about that. Okay. So now that we've just like adored Chaplin, I'm like, why is this higher than Chaplin? But here we go. Um, you know, <laughs> it's a darn good question. I want... It's like you said, there's a lot of family films in this year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have to remember at this point, I think I was six or five. And, you know, given our, our busy schedule, I just haven't had time to expand my movie experience okay. of 1992. So everybody just bear with me. Uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid is a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And mm-hmm. that's got Rick Moranis and a couple other awesome people. But Rick Moranis is really why I watch it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's the Zelensky family. And instead of shrinking the kids, they've just had another baby. And he, he does something, and it reverses the, the shrink rays to blow yeah, rays. Yeah, exactly. And so now they have a giant baby. And that's, you know, kind of having a baby in the house, like a toddler in the house, is, is crazy enough. Mm-hmm. So having a giant toddler roaming around, I mean, that's pretty insane. So it's, it's stupid funny in my eyes and I think what I liked most about the film when I was a kid was this idea of a playpen he had this he had constructed a really cool playpen for the kid ah okay well my number 10 that just barely edges out Chaplin I think is the player I love Robert Altman's the player not just because of its brilliant satire of the Hollywood studio system nor its enormous cast of characters and cameos, but also because the player features an awesome eight-minute single-take opening crane shot that references and bests the crane shot in Touch of Evil. The player is one of the best and most overlooked films of the 90s, which has a huge cast, a lot of cameos. Tim Robbins is the main character, He's a guy who may or may not have murdered somebody and is under suspicion and under investigation uh, for that murder. 
if you haven't seen it, there's a Criterion edition out there. Definitely check it out if you can. And it is The Player. It's my number 10. Shanna, what's your number 9? My number 9 is, I'm very fond of this film, is Rockadoodle. Rockadoodle. All mm-hmm. right, tell us about Rockadoodle. So, you know, you guys know that Roger Rabbit is like one of my ultimate favorite movies. And Rockadoodle was another film that kind of crossed human world with animation world. Really? So, just for a little bit. But it's such a fascinating thing to see when you're a kid. Because then you start imagining, well, what if what if Cinderella could come and visit me? Or what if, you know, I don't know, any other characters. All I can think of is, like, Ariel right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> so let me tell you what the IMDb describes it as in order to defeat the grand duke of owls a young boy transformed into a cat teams up with a group of barnyard animals to find a rooster who can raise the sun weird okay it is it's very strange it's a very strange story and that's what's really fun about it and there's these you know you see these you're always going to interpret things differently as you age but when i was a kid i just remember this being like really crazy and bizarre yeah and watching it as an adult there's actually some really lovely there's some really lovely moments that happen in the film at least with language so one character the only way he talks is if he can rhyme things which is really funny and the words he uses are always appropriate and he's one of the side characters and i'm just trying to find the quote right now Hopefully it's better than Mindy Kaling's character in Wrinkle in Time. Ooh. So one of my favorite quotes is between the Grand Duke and his nephew, Hunch. And these are, the Grand Duke is this ginormous owl, scary looking as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then... Voiced by Christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. And then Hunch is the nephew who's really puny. He's almost like the size of Tweety Bird, I guess, mm. uh, in comparison. And he's been given a job and it's not working out. And he says, that's what it said. Danger. Adequate pipe. Grand Duke. Oh, hunch, come to uncle. And every time he says come to uncle, you know, his nephew's so excited because he thinks he's going to get affection. And instead he grabs him by essentially the throat and says, you imbecile, that's not an adequate pipe. That's an aqueduct pipe. And he was supposed to get rid of some characters, and he was like, oh, yeah, no, I sent them down the, the adequate pipe that uh-huh. was going to do an adequate job. That's <laughs> like <laughs> the way that we misinterpret language and stuff is really great. And at the end, he talks about abomination, assassination, annihilation, and he's going after someone. And it's just a really fun play of words, if you're paying attention to it. Interesting. Maybe I'll have to revisit that. I have not seen that since it came out. My next film is Unforgiven. I contend that Unforgiven is Eastwood's best late career work as a director. Um, Had I seen the films he directed in the 70s and 80s, I might be able to claim Unforgiven as the best overall. But, um, as is, it's certainly one of the most significant westerns of the past 50 years with its ruminations on uh, on violence and its effects on a man and its huge cast that also includes Morgan Freeman and Richard Harris and Gene Hackman who gives a tremendous 
uh, late career performance as a villain with uh, with nuance. He just wants to build a house for for gosh darn sakes. Yeah. Have I seen this one? No, you oh. decided you were done with westerns. Oh, okay. If you didn't like 1993's Tombstone, you're not going to like 1992's Unforgiven, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But it is a, a fantastic film. Clint Eastwood has not directed a film nearly as good since. And so it's uh, firmly at my number nine position. My number eight is Home Alone 2. This is, by now, in my list, this is the second sequel that I enjoyed that made it to my list. Called Home Alone Lost in New York. Yes, Home Alone Lost in New York. And, of course, we have Kevin back. It's the same cast. It has come back, which, you know, is very important if you're doing a sequel, especially for kids. One year after Kevin was left home alone and had to defeat a pair of bumbling burglars, this is IMDb's description, he accidentally (laughs) finds himself in New York City and the same criminals are not far behind. I have to say, these are the worst parents ever. (laughs) It's like, you'd think after the first experience, totally fine, you'd think they would learn a thing, like Mm. how to be paranoid, maybe. You know, and this is only a year later. So realistically speaking, I think that, you know, good parents wouldn't leave their kid after a year. I don't think this would happen again. Uh, Well, you know, they just get separated at the airport. And as a kid... They're in a hurry. One thing it depicts very well is how busy, busy, busy Americans are. Mm. Uh, They can't even... Look out for their kid, you know? Right. Uh, I'm not insulting Americans. I'm just saying this is what the film illustrates. And what kid, you know, who doesn't live in America, what kid doesn't want to know what New York is like on Christmas, Mm -hmm. in the Christmas season? I still want to know what it's actually like. You know, one day we'll maybe get there. I would love it. Mm -hmm. I would probably freeze our butts off, knowing what I know now about the East Coast during winter. So, I, it's just, it's a lot of fun. There's more bandits, you know, there's more adventures on Kevin taking bandits down. And it's very otherworldly to someone like me at that age. Mm. Because I didn't know what America was like. So, mm-hmm. it, it's a fun Christmas film of mine. Very cool. Oh, oh I, I should back up a little bit. Unforgiven, I didn't mention, is available on Netflix. And my next pick is on uh, Amazon Prime. Shannon mentioned it before. It is Sneakers, which I remember being... Oh, wow, yours ranks pretty high. Yeah, I remember it being roughly a birthday movie for me, but always one that I enjoyed. I think it was my first introduction to many of the cast members, as a matter of fact. Ben Kingsley being one of them, Cindy Poitier being another... Uh, not so much Dan Aykroyd because I was a fan of Ghostbusters and stuff, but still really great to see him in something different. I've always enjoyed this film. It's interesting watching it today, uh, wondering, oh gosh, you know, surely this thing's out of date because of technology. But no, actually, surprisingly and interestingly enough, even though it takes place at the beginning of the internet age, it still is very much like the villain's goal is still very much valid as a villainous goal. It could be something that a James Bond villain, for crying out loud, could uh, attempt. But it's still it's still um, valuable today, which is information and the ability to crack into any agency or any place or what have you that, that you wanted to and transfer money. So that's really surprising. It's really surprising how much this film that nobody talks about has almost been forgotten holds up and it has such a fantastic cast. 
Uh, if you have the time, seek it out on Amazon Prime. It is a lot of fun and quite enjoyable. That is sneakers. You're right. The technology does seem to that they're, the, you know, the way they're hacking things does seem pretty plausible right now. Mm-hmm. Now more than ever. Yeah. My next one, my number seven, is a league of their own. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's so far down on your list. Well, I'm pretty sure yours is going to be pretty high up there. I'm pretty sure it made your list. <laughs> we shall see. So I'm not going to talk too much about it, but, you know, for those who don't know, this is a baseball film. Uh, baseball is featured in this film. Mm-hmm. Two sisters join the first female professional baseball league, and, you know, they're, they're doing really well, and uh, the thing is they start having a rivalry between themselves. Mm-hmm. And this is starring Tom Hanks and Gina Davis, Laura Pe- Laurie Petty, Madonna is even in it, Rosie O'Donnell is awesome in it, and, you know, Tracy Rayner, there's a couple other people, Anne Cusack's in it. Yep, Gary How Marshall. How did we get to see Anne Cusack? Not very much, no. Yeah. I'm sure you'll mention a whole bunch of other people. This was fun to watch it was uh, also a little bit infuriating it was interesting to see how they treated the men's baseball to the female baseball i mean men's baseball the they sexism. had yeah, yeah they had protection and the woman they just wore a dress oh yeah and if they needed to you know slide yeah they got completely scraped up their yeah. skin yeah so yeah. strawberries just, is what they're called oh yeah we'll make it pretty it's not pretty sexism is what that's actually called mm. so a very fun watch yeah. Uh, my number seven is Aladdin. 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 Uh, Can we call you Al or maybe just Din? <laughs> How about Laddie? <laughs> yeah. So this is a film. I think this was the point where I learned never to doubt Disney, at least for the next couple of years, because there's something about the animation style or what have you in the trailers that I wasn't sure of with really? um, Aladdin before I watched it. But of course, uh, as I'm watching it, I, I'm getting caught up. It's hilarious. It's fun. It's exciting. It's a great Disney film. It was right in the middle of their new golden age that started more or less with Little Mermaid. The year before was Beauty and the Beast, then this. And then and then, was Lion King? I think so. I, mm-hmm. think, um, I think Lion King finished it off in 1994. And of course, at that point, I was like, well... Disney could do no wrong, and unfortunately, they did. They went Is downhill. Pocahontas next. Pocahontas was in '95, yeah, and then okay, so you had Hercules King. and um, um, I think maybe Hunchback of Notre Dame before that even. Oh, yeah, Hunchback and Hercules and Mulan and then Tarzan. Anyway, I digress. Aladdin. Great you Robin know, Williams. You know where it fell and how it slid. <laughs> I did. Yeah, exactly. Um, Aladdin, m- m- Robin Williams, one of his best vocal performances, one of his best performances is most like, um, you know, improvisational performances, most beloved, and also uh, it's got a good villain, it's got a good henchman, Iago, played by uh, Gilbert Gottfried. It's it's so it's a really solid Disney film. I, you don't need me to tell you that. Just go and enjoy it and pass it on to the kids. It's my number seven favorite 1992 movie. What's your number six? Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, is it? This was my first exposure to the Christmas Carol story. Oh, of course it is, yes. So, this is awesome. I mean, I would give this to, like, my, depending, I'd give it to, like, my three, four-year-old to enjoy 
So the Muppet characters tell their version of the classic tale of the old and bitter Miser's Redemption on Christmas Eve. Miser. Miser. Right. I'm sorry. Here's what I like about this is it's not terrifying. <laughs> it's just a little scary when, you know, it needs to be scary. And then the rest of the time it's really exciting. It's really warm. It's really good cinematography. It's great set design, of course. The mm. Muppets are awesome. This might have been my first, I think my first Muppet film was Muppet Treasure Island. Oh, and then this which one. came, I think, afterwards. Oh, okay, that makes sense then. And, and then this one. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled across it on one of the local channels in South Africa when I was a kid. And I was like, oh my God, it's the green guy. <laughs> it's like Kermit and the rat, Jared. Get in here, the rats are on the TV. It was very exciting. And it's charming. So that's two Christmas films in my list right now. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. And I have not seen that one, I don't think. What? Yeah, my next film is Bram Stoker's Dracula, as we get into the halfway mark here. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, I feel, is the best version of the Dracula uh, story. The best adaptation of the novel. Having read the novel, it sticks very closely to the format of the novel with the letters and all these writings basically that tell the story. I love the cast of it, which is weighted down or, or, or anchored by Gary Oldman's performance as both Vlad the, the Impaler and Count Dracula himself. Uh, the makeup effects of the time were extraordinary and probably one of the reasons why the film was one of the 10 highest grossing films of the year. Some of the visuals don't quite hold up. Uh, it, it does, it does a lot, try to do some stuff visually, double exposure sort of stuff, if I understand correctly. But uh, Francis Ford Coppola, I think probably made his last solid film here with Bram Stoker's Dracula. Love it. I've always loved it since I was 12 years old which was probably too young to see this, but this is the kind of horror I was into. Horror with a story, you know, just a little bit of gore and, and effects here and there, but it had a driving uh, story and a richness to it. And this is rich in visuals. Uh, so yeah, I love Bram Stoker's Dracula. Awesome. My next one my number five is reservoir dogs and that's a quentin tarantino film of course <laughs> like you mentioned earlier this is his first one right yes correct yeah direct directorial debut thank you it's not gonna come out today <laughs> um <laughs> so this is their film this is the film about a jewelry robbery gone extremely wrong like mm -hmm. anything that could go wrong goes wrong right and it's about six of them and then they as if that isn't hard enough the burglary going wrong they start suspecting one of them as a police informant right um and so which I, may or may not be true you know that's why it's such a fuck up <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's gorgeous it's a you know gorgeous in that this stupidity left right and center i think uh, one of my favorite quotes is, come on, throw in a buck. Uh-uh, I don't tip. You oh, don't yeah. tip? Yeah. No, I don't believe in it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, opening... you have to tip, guys. Yes, the opening infamous tip discussion <laughs> at the beginning of the film with Steve Buscemi as the mm -hmm. guy 
who refuses to tip. Yeah, and I think that that was cast pretty well. <laughs> yeah, that's a great cast. Actually, I'm noticing a, a trend here of great ensemble casts in 1992. Mm-hmm. For sure, Reservoir Dogs is no exception with Michael Madsen and... Tim um, Roth. Tim Roth, Chris yep. Chris Penn. Yep, Chris Penn, absolutely. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, a solid pick. My number five is actually Sister Act. Starring Whoopi Goldberg. This was just a lot of fun. I, I've always... This is one of those family favorite films. You know, we watched as a family. We loved as a family. I love the soundtrack. I love the music in it. I remember being slightly disappointed learning that... Learning that I think her name is Mary Magdalene um, or Mary Margaret or something like that. The one who really belts it. That's not her actual voice. <laughs> you know? Learning that that's not actually her voice. That her voice was dubbed... I learned years later was I remember that being a disappointment to mm. me because I was like, oh, I love that character. I love when she sings. You know, she becomes from this shy person to this person who can really belt it. I don't know. It, it's just it's a lot of fun. You have Harvey Keitel having fun in an actual good movie. I think I reviewed this in a remember that movie segment on the blog. So definitely look for that, and you get more of my thoughts on the film. Uh, back then do not however seek out the sequel back in the habit that's just dumb oh just dumb did Don't. we not look at that briefly i not with me you didn't uh, nope maybe it was with logan so sister act was my number five what's your number four my number four is the player is it yeah that's fascinating tell <laughs> why is that so high on your we list have, i know we have at least a film just... each that is like yeah tilted the other way yeah um, okay, so first of all, the movie posters for this is great. Yep. <laughs> it's a great concept for a film. Mm-hmm. I, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, This also has Whoopi Goldberg, so it's, I think it's funny that... Yes, and not as a cameo, but as an actual character in mm-hmm. it, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that. I just, I really love the quirkiness of this film. I think it's very original and a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like, there's murder mystery somewhat involved Mm -hmm. in it and there's stalking involved in it so it's a lot of fun for me yes and also interestingly enough Whoopi Goldberg starred the previous year in another film that lampooned Hollywood in a way called Soap Dish uh, oh what which uh, kind of lampooned soap operas so maybe more on that in future episodes my next film is Cameron Crowe's Singles I I forgot about that. Oh, that is such a shame because that is one of my. Sedgwick. Kira Sedgwick's in it. Yes, it's worth noting. Another ensemble film with Kira Sedgwick, Matt Dillon, Bridget Fonda, probably my favorite Bridget Fonda character, Campbell Scott, and some other names that's uh, that's escaping me right now. But it's Cameron Crowe's second film, I think. Did say anything, and then I think he did singles afterwards, if I'm not mistaken. And I've always loved it. It's set in Seattle. It's about dating life in the early '90s in Seattle. In some ways, it's very much of its time because it's pre-internet. 
people are actually making dating videos and, th- and stuff, oh, going through right. dating agencies. So it's very much of its time in some ways. Oh, wow. But it's also in the thick of the grunge movement. So you actually have some of Seattle bands making cameos or playing supporting characters. Eddie Vedder is in this. So as a, a native of Western Washington, it's very hard for me not to love this movie. But its soundtrack is also... If not my all-time favorite soundtrack, mm-hmm. definitely in the top three all-time favorite soundtracks. Um, Cameron Crowe and his wife Nancy Wilson of Heart did a really great job compiling this together, and, and so it's it's not maybe in his top three fa- best films of his career, but you know it's it's up there, and it's certainly better than some of his more recent work. Or the, uh, since the turn of the century. So I highly recommend Singles. So that's my fourth favorite film of 1992. Jenna, what is your third favorite film of 1992? Well, really briefly, I bet that dating agencies got hit pretty hard when the internet age came. Yeah. Shame. <laughs> well, Match.com feel... was the first one, remember? Well, yeah, I guess you could have translated yourself, but if you didn't... Oh, shame. Okay, so my number three, it's another sequel. Oh. Mm -hmm, Is Lethal Weapon 3. This is my favorite lethal weapon out of all the lethal weapons is number three. Awesome. You know, you've got Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh again coming together. And this is the one where Riggs falls in love. Uh And, okay, I'm just going to say it because... I'm just gonna say it. So, <laughs> this is my favorite, like, like you uh-huh. know, like little romance and favorite lovemaking scene. Uh-huh. It's like maybe my top three. Yep. Of all time, you mean? Of of all time. Oh wow. My other one is like Terminator. So. Oh wow! Very yeah. good. Very good. That could be a fun list mm. for like Valentine's or yeah. something. Anyway, coming back to Lethal <laughs> Weapon Three. You know, Riggs is a very special person. You really have to have a special personality to be able to deal with that man because he doesn't give up and he's constantly going at you. He's like a fucking determined dog. He's got dogged determination is what I mean. And Rene Russo's character, mm-hmm. uh, Lorna Cole, uh-huh. really puts him in his place. Yep. And he's like, what just happened to me? <laughs> it's like he got slapped. Yeah. But, you know, physically he didn't. And it's like... It's just so much fun when you see those romances unfold in films. I've never seen it in, like, reality. Yeah. But, like, in film, for sure, that's, like, one of my favorite. That's that's awesome, and I'm intrigued by what your top two favorite films of the year are now. My third favorite film is Wayne's World. It's a lot of things, Wayne's World. It's arguably the best movie based on characters uh, from a Saturday Night Live sketch. It's one of the most quotable movies I've ever seen. It's also one of the funniest comedies to successfully work on more than one level. It's a buddy comedy, it's a satire on commercialism, and a nearly timeless icon of pop culture. Now, interestingly enough, though, the one thing about this movie, it's very depressing, is I showed it to my son, who is about the same age, almost the same age as I was when this movie came out. Mm. The movie was completely lost on him because all the references either were about things that he hasn't seen yet or so of its time 
be it commercials for Nuprin or Reebok or whatever, that he would have no idea what that is. So it's an interesting lesson where, yes, this movie works on a few different levels, but it only works for certain generations. It's unfortunately very much dated for uh, certain generations. But it is still hilarious. It is still highly quotable. And I, I love it. Wayne's World, my third favorite film of 1992. Shanna, what is your second favorite film of 1992? My second favorite film of 1992 is Aladdin. Really? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, man. This is one of my favorite films ever. This was one of the first films I watched where... I believe I watched this before I watched Little Mermaid. So it was the first, and I previous to that I had been exposed to Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, like, every day played in my bedroom. But what was so fucking cool about this film is when I realized that Jasmine was fighting back mm. for something that she didn't want, a way that she didn't want to live. Uh-huh. And she wasn't being celebrated, but she, it was being taken. Mm. You know, and that was really exciting for me to see as a younger girl. And oh my god, the music in this film! Oh, yeah, it's like, yeah, Robin Williams just going on and on and on and on about you know, you know, going on in his character. He's doing so many fun things, there's so many quotes. I mean, you know, the music, yeah, that's something I didn't touch awesome. on. That's a great call, yeah, it's great songs. Mm-hmm. So, one of my favorite quotes is actually. You're rug man. Haven't seen you in a few millennia. Give me some tassel. And it's like, I want to know the backstory. I want to know where they've met before and how that came about. And now they're in the same place again. Like, did they belong to the same ruler at one point? And that's why it's all in this, you know, the cave of wonder. Please give me the backstory. To oh, that. no, no. See, that. don't speak too no, loud because no, 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 no. someone will take you up be, on that. It doesn't have to be a film. I just, I want. <laughs> Kind of like what Pixar does, how they connect the different Pixar films. Okay. I want the theory to come out of the woodwork now. Right, how do they enough. know each other? Fair enough, fair enough. You um, must let Robin Williams rest. <laughs> yes, yes. My second favorite film of 1992 is Lethal Weapon 3, which fought for the, for the number one spot. It came close. Uh, but in Lethal Weapon 3, I think may have been the very first Lethal Weapon film I saw. I saw it um, with my parents when it came Wait, out. Wait, why is this higher on your list than me? That's a darn good question. Oh my gosh, but this is exciting. It's not much higher. We're, we're neck and neck here. It marks this shift in the series. I came to learn later mm-hmm. where it was a buddy cop kind of a, it was it was like uh kind of a crime drama dramedy you know where it was more drama with some comedy mm-hmm. but with lethal weapon 3 it became a little bit lighter fare um and lethal weapon 4 even more so and i think that one's kind of the lesser of the whole series but i have found that i am a fan uh, or enjoy more the funner sequels, you know, we talked about this with Gremlins too, and there's other other films that we've talked about and will talk about where this is the case. And I had the most fun with Lethal Weapon three. I had a huge crush on Renee Russo. She was fine as hell in that film, you know. And I, so I'm totally with you with that love scene and the chemistry with her and Mel Gibson. 
That's the, chemistry that works, yeah, guys. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's great action in it. Joe Pesci's hilarious in it. I just, I don't know, I love Lethal Weapon 3 the most of the whole series. Even if you could make arguments that the first one or the second one may be better films. I love, I love it. And you have the weight, too, of what's what they're dealing with at the time in our society with gang violence, with, with these gangs of teenagers who are getting a hold of cop-killing bullets, you know? I don't know. I just, I really like that film a lot. I love it. And it's came close to being my favorite of 1992. But first, Shannon, why don't you share with us what your favorite film of 1992 is? So my ultimate favorite is Phone Gotti. This that is, is a very... You're knocking me off my socks here. I'm very surprised. <laughs> I knew that you loved that movie, but that's your favorite God, above all this, these others. I love this film so freaking much. It just wow. makes me so happy. Above whenever. Tarantino. I mean, yeah, it's 1992. Wow, okay. You know? <laughs> Above Lethal Weapon 3. Yeah. <laughs> Above Aladdin. Wow. So... All right, really quickly, tell us, okay. why is it your favorite? It is my favorite because it's so bizarre. It's a film about magical, you know, fairy beings, magical mm-hmm. creatures that are in their forest and their home is being threatened by pollution. Mm-hmm. and forest uh, deforestation mm-hmm. and it was just nice to see something magical being in jeopardy for a change mm. and it was really freaking funny you know you had robin williams this was his first animated role really yes he was like a really great part of that film and you know as you get older again you hear different words it's kind of like rockadoodle so I thought I was going to, you know, I grew up with these films, uh, stopped watching them at about age 12, and then I revisited them when I was 20, and I thought I was going to hate them and hate myself for liking them that much. But you know what? It actually works out just fine because there were things I didn't hear when I was a kid that I hear now. The It's very environmentally conscious film. Batty yep. yep. sings about how he's experimented on in the labs. Jesus. He talks about how he gets pumped with carcinogenics. And it's like, no kid is going to know what a fucking carcinogenic is. Wow. And so that is really freaking cool. This is a very important film to me. It's a very important film when it comes to nature conservation and wildlife uh, reservation. So uh, that is my favorite. Tell me all about your number one. Well, my number one probably won't come as any surprise to... I did foresee this. ...many long-time listeners. It is A League of Their Own. I can't help but love this movie. The cast is wonderful. You mentioned most of it, but especially Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Lori Petty, Madonna, and Rosie O'Donnell. The montages are perfectly edited. The history is respectfully depicted, and several moments are very touching. It does have a couple lines of dialogue that are a bit on the nose, and it walks a fine line between fluff and sincere storytelling. However, the material overcomes all of that. There are some very nice touches, such as the goodbye scene between Marla and her dad. And this film marked the beginning of the upward momentum that Tom Hanks' career gained throughout the 90s. He followed his performance as the sexist drunk Jimmy Dugan, with roles in Sleepless in Seattle and Philadelphia, which we talked about in the previous episode, Forrest Gump, and Apollo 13, 
for three consecutive years. So it's a very impressive run by Tom Hanks. It all started with a League of Their Own, uh, the film by Penny Marshall. Say no more. I couldn't say no more. I, I love it. So those are our favorite films of 1992. What are your favorite films of 1992? Email us at at gmail.com. Shanna, before we talk about our next episode, tell us where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at shannapaxton.com, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N.com. You can also find me on Instagram there with a underscore between my name. Excellent. Go to thegibsonreview.com where you will find past articles, past film faves. However, last film faves, 1993, was the last article that was written in the original blog for film faves. So there is not a film faves 1992 written on the blog. However, you can read, I think, between 2010 and 1993 on there, as well as that Remember That Movie article of sister act i'll see if i can link that in the show notes go to facebook to find some third-party links and and other things on there, movie related and of course subscribe to us on itunes and soundcloud leave us a review because if we get a review or two more people like you will be able to find us next time on the movie lovers is a star is born Bradley Cooper's remake, which has been previously remade with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, and previous to that with Judy Garland, I think James Mason. If I Did you say this is the fourth time? I think this, this is the fourth time. Made. There's a time before the Judy Garland version. It was the original Star is Born, if I remember correctly. I have only seen the Judy Garland version. I'm very much interested in what Bradley Cooper has done here with Lady Gaga. We will talk about that on October 16th. Look for that then. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Don't go watch Laugh Itself. And don't stand (laughs) out in the middle of the road.